So as we begin our message today, I want to ask you where it is that you feel like you meet Jesus. Where are those moments where you recognise that you actually have an encounter and meet with Jesus? You might think of what we do during these sorts of times. So it might be while we're singing, as we just did, that you feel like there's opportunities there to be able to meet with Jesus. It might be during times of prayer. It might be as we gather around the communion table, as we're unpacking a message together. You might feel like you meet Jesus in those moments. It could be when you're at home and when you're doing your own personal Bible reading or when you're praying or journaling or listening to some music. You might feel like in those moments uh, that you feel like you meet with Jesus. For some, it could be when we're a part of a small group. So when we're gathered together and when we're taking some time to unpack what we're learning together and being able to pray for each other, sometimes we can sense that we've got the opportunity to meet with Jesus in those moments as well. For some of us, it could be the times that we are serving others, that when we have the opportunity to come alongside of someone else and to be able to care for them and be able to offer them tangible help, that there's a moment there where you feel like you're actually meeting with Jesus. Or it could just be when you go for a walk or go and sit down by the beach or sit in a park, that when you're still and quiet, that you have opportunities to meet with Jesus. Hopefully you've got at least one example that you can hold on to through the rest of the message as those times where you know that you have in the past or where you regularly meet up with Jesus because that's what we're going to unpack as we go through this message today. We're going to pick things up uh, where we kind of left things off last week after the events that took place Easter Sunday and uh, be able to dig into this amazing story about these two friends who were on a road walking with Jesus without even realising it. So you've got your teaching notes inside of Connect News, so you can grab those and uh, jot things down as we go through today's message, if that's helpful. And uh, we are going to go through uh, this passage in detail, uh, but I've not put all of the verses up on the screen. So if you've got your Bible with you, you might want to open up to Luke chapter 24, starting at verse 13, so that you can follow along, uh, because for some of the verses, I just decided to put some images up uh, rather than the exact verses. So Luke chapter 24, starting at verse 13. That same day, two of them were walking to the village Emmaus, about seven miles out of Jerusalem. They were deep in conversation, going over all these things that had happened. So this picks up on Easter Sunday, and uh, we've got these two friends who are walking towards uh, Emmaus, which most people would agree is probably where they were from. So they're heading home. Obviously, they've seen everything that's taken place, and they would have been in Jerusalem for the Passover festival last week, been a part of all of that. And there's an understanding that they were probably a part of Jesus' wider circles Uh, circle of disciples. And so they may well have been at the Last Supper with Jesus. They may well have been at the Mount of Olives with Jesus, but they certainly would have seen Jesus' death and they would have seen Jesus laid in a tomb on the Friday. Saturday was a Sabbath, which for a Jewish person means that you can't work, but you also can't walk more than a certain distance. And so for them, they would have had to wait until Sunday to be able to make this journey home because, as we're told, it was about seven miles, so probably about 12 kilometres, so probably a half-day walk or so. So that's a pretty long walk, lots of time to be able to chat, and you can imagine the sorts of conversations that they were having about all of the things that they've seen, everything that's unfolded over the last few days, and wondering where do we go from here? What happens from here? Verse 15, in the middle of their talk and questions, Jesus came up and walked along with them, 
but they weren't able to recognise who he was. Now this is interesting because different translations interpret this in very, very different ways. So the one that we've got, which is the message translation, says that they were not able to recognise who Jesus was. Other translations say that their eyes were kept from seeing Jesus. But some translations uh, actually say that God kept them from being able to see Jesus. And obviously that's a very different thing because if God's intentionally manipulating things so that they can't see Jesus because God's doing something to their eyes, that has some pretty significant implications. So this is where it's really important to go back to the original language. And our understanding is that probably the most accurate version is that their eyes were kept from being able to see Jesus. Other people have just added into that to say God's the one who kept them from it. But most commentators would say, actually, what happened is that their circumstances and their expectations were what kept them from being able to see Jesus. Their expectations were that there was no way they were going to see Jesus because they had just seen Jesus die and they had seen Jesus laid in a tomb and they had seen the stone (laughs) rolled in front of that. They had no expectation that this person who would come up alongside of them would be Jesus that was not on their radar whatsoever. But their circumstances also stopped them from being able to see Jesus. They're so overwhelmed with sadness and grief and confusion and wondering what on earth is going on. And some translations dig in a little bit to say that their eyes were downcast. There's this sense that they were so overwhelmed that they were effectively looking down and couldn't see Jesus because of that. This is really important because we recognise that for all of the people who were a part of these events that happened on Easter Sunday, they had no expectation that Jesus was coming back to life. These two friends aren't the only ones who had this experience. We know that Mary also met Jesus and didn't recognise him at first. And the disciples, when they were on the beach, didn't recognise Jesus at first either. Because of what had gone on, because of the circumstances they'd gone through, because of their expectations, they just had no ability to even conceive that they would be able to see Jesus. And I wonder if you've ever had an experience like that, where your circumstances or your expectations meant that you couldn't see Jesus, or you couldn't sense that God was with you at all. The circumstances that you were going through meant that you were feeling so sad or so frustrated or so overwhelmed or so anxious that you just couldn't even sense that God was with you in that moment, that God was at work. That your expectations based on what was happening around you where there's no way that God is going to show up in the midst of this, I just can't even imagine where he is right now. Have you ever had an experience like that? where your circumstances or expectations got in the way of you being able to see that God was with you. Well, in verse 17, Jesus asked the two friends, what's this you're discussing so intently as you walk along? They just stood there, long-faced, like they had lost their best friend. Then one of them, his name was Cleopas, said, are you the only one in Jerusalem who hasn't heard what's happening during the last few days? Jesus said, what has happened? And they said, the things that happened to Jesus the Nazarene. He was a man of God, a prophet, dynamic in work and word, blessed by both God and all the people. Then our high priests and leaders betrayed him, got him sentenced to death and crucified him. And we had our hopes up that he was the one, the one about to deliver Israel. And it's now the third day since all this happened. But now some of our women have completely confused us. 
Early this morning, they were at the tomb and they couldn't find his body. They came back with the story that they had seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of our friends went off to the tomb to check and found it empty, just as the women said, but they didn't see Jesus. So this is really fascinating to unpack. Jesus asked them this question, what are you discussing? Now, it's interesting because Jesus would have known very well what they were discussing. We recognise that. But this is typical Jesus. So often he doesn't just wade into situations and say, this is what you need to do, or this is what you need to believe, or this is what you need to say. Jesus regularly just asks questions to draw people in, to say, my hope here is to be able to journey together, to be able to learn together, to be able to discover things together. I'm not here to tell you what you need to do. Let's have a conversation around this. And I love the way that the message translation talks about how these people were feeling, long-faced like they had lost their best friend. Again, we recognise just this overwhelming sense of sadness, the rawness that was still there for them from the events of Good Friday and Easter Saturday. And so one of the friends, whose name is Cleopas, and just to be clear, that's not Clopas, who we talked about a few weeks ago. This is another person, uh, but again, someone who is probably part of that wider circle of Jesus' disciples, replies and says, you must be the only person who doesn't know about these things. Like, where have you been if you don't know what's happened over the last few days in Jerusalem? How can you possibly not be aware of it? Because that's all everyone is talking about. And then he walks through what their understanding had been about Jesus, that he was this prophet, that they expected that he was this guy who was able to speak on behalf of God, to be able to say, these are the things that are going to happen. That he was a mighty teacher, that he had this amazing ability to be able to explain things and to be able to help people to understand what God was all about and what life was supposed to be all about. But they said that they hoped that he was the chosen one, that he was the Messiah, the one who was going to come and rescue Israel, set Israel free from Roman rule, put Israel back on the map once and for all. And yet they say all of their hopes and dreams have been destroyed because he clearly wasn't the Messiah because he's died. Then they say, but in the midst of everything that's going on, this morning has been a very confusing time for us because some of our friends went to the tomb and when they got there, it was empty. Jesus' body wasn't there. And they said that they saw some angels who said that Jesus was alive. And then some of our other friends went over there to check it out and they found the same thing, that the tomb was empty. And so we really don't know what we're supposed to believe. We don't know what is going on. Has Jesus' body been stolen? Is this some trick? Like, we don't know what's happening. It's really important, as a little side note, to recognise that it's very significant that the women are named consistently as the key witnesses as a part of the resurrection narrative that we've got. Because if you were going to write a story, if you were going to make up a story about Jesus coming back from the dead, the last people that you would choose to be witnesses would have been children. So wouldn't have trusted them with their testimony. But the second to last group of people that you would have chosen would have been, sorry to say it, women. In Jesus' day, women weren't even allowed to testify in a court of law as witnesses to something that had happened, to a crime or anything else, because their testimony wasn't believable. So if you were going to make up a story 
about Jesus coming back from the dead, then you would have picked someone else to be the people who would have discovered that Jesus wasn't there. You would have either picked uh, the religious leaders and said they were the ones who found it. You would have picked the Roman centurion. You would have picked the Roman guards that were guarding the tomb. You would have picked anyone else other than the women. But consistently what we have from Matthew, Mark, Luke and John is that the women are the ones who discover this amazing thing, which gives us an incredible amount of confidence to say this probably happened exactly the way that we're told that it happened because you just wouldn't make that up if you were going to choose someone to be the first ones to find that Jesus had risen from the dead. Well, Jesus responds in verse 25 with something that seems a little harsh. He says, so thick-headed, so slow-hearted. Why can't you simply believe all that the prophets said? Don't you see that these things had to happen, that the Messiah had to suffer and only then enter into his glory? Other translations say, you foolish people. Seems like Jesus is being a little bit hard here. And I don't know about you, but for me, it kind of makes me a little bit uncomfortable because there's a sense where it's like, oh, so if we don't get it right, if we don't understand what Jesus is trying to tell us or if we miss something, is Jesus ready to kind of give us a whack across the head and say, what's wrong with you? Like, how dumb are you? Can you not understand what's happening around you? Which seems very not Jesus. Seems very, very harsh. This again is one of these times where our translations, particularly our English translations, aren't necessarily super, super helpful and that reading words on a page that don't communicate tone don't help us out very much. Because the word foolish is an interesting word to think about. So when we think about someone who's foolish, we can think about someone who's not very bright, who doesn't really get things, who's kind of, you know. But when we think about someone who's foolish, we can also think about someone who's just a little bit silly. Somebody hasn't really thought things through. Someone who's misunderstood something. And that, most people would say, is the way that this word is being used in this context. Jesus is saying to them, you haven't really thought this through. You've kind of missed something really important here. And he says, like, wasn't it always predicted? Wasn't it always prophesied that this person who was going to be the Messiah was going to go through all of this terrible suffering? How did you miss all of that? in all of your understandings about what the Messiah was coming to do. And this is a big challenge for us because if we're honest, we can sometimes respond the same way. But when we go through times of suffering, we assume that it means that God has left the building. That we're very keen on what God can offer us, on what God can do for us when things are going really, really well. But when things start to get hard, we just assume, well, God's not part of this at all. The same experience that all of these people had, that the Messiah, if this is God who's at work, is going to do all these amazing things and nothing can possibly go wrong, especially what they've just seen with Jesus. Jesus says, wasn't that all along what was predicted was going to happen? And in verse 27, we're told that Jesus then started at the beginning with the books of Moses and went on through all the prophets, pointing out everything in the scriptures that referred to him. So Jesus goes through the writings of Moses, so the first five books of the Old Testament, and then a whole bunch of the prophets, which is most of the rest of the Old Testament, and shows them all of the things that were written about him. That would have been some Bible study. This is one of those times where I really wish that someone had a recording of it, because that would be the best podcast to be able to listen to, or if someone had been just walking with them, recording the whole thing so we could sit down and watch it, how amazing would that be? Jesus explaining everything in the Old Testament that points to him. 
That would have been really, really amazing to be a part of. But that is what we try to do and what we have tried to do over the last 2,000 years, is to be able to go back through all the writings of the Old Testament and to understand how they help us discover Jesus. That so often the Old Testament is pointing forward to Jesus or giving us context about what Jesus is coming to do. We read the Old Testament the same way. But what's really fascinating is that even with all of that, they still don't see Jesus. Even after Jesus explains all of that to them, they still don't see that this is Jesus who's walking with them. This is a big challenge because so often for us, we can be focused on learning things, especially in the West. We're very focused on accumulating knowledge and intellectual growth. But that can be a really, really dangerous place because it's relatively easy to learn things about Jesus and still not actually meet him, still not recognise that he's with us and to be able to spend time with him. But Jesus' goal for us is not that we'll just learn things about him, but to actually build and cultivate a relationship with him. When verse 28, they came to the edge of the village, they get to Emmaus where they were headed. And Jesus acted as if he were going on, but they pressed him, stay and have supper with us. It's nearly evening and the day is done. So Jesus went in with them. Here again, we see that Jesus doesn't impose himself. He doesn't force himself in. He doesn't make any assumptions. He acts as if he's just going to keep on walking. And these two friends say, no, no, like it's late in the day. So come have some food with us, stick around. We want to spend a little bit more time together. It's really interesting to think about what might have happened if they didn't invite Jesus in. If Jesus had just kept on walking, these two friends would have had this incredible experience with Jesus without actually realising that it was Jesus at all. But they did invite him in, and in verse 30, here is what happened. He sat down at the table with them. Taking the bread, he blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And at that moment, open-eyed, wide-eyed, they recognised him. And then he disappeared. Back and forth they talked. Didn't we feel on fire as he conversed with us on the road, as he opened up the scriptures for us? As they sit down to this meal together, Jesus breaks bread. And in that moment, suddenly their eyes are able to recognise him. Now, we don't know exactly why that is, whether it was Jesus breaking the bread gave them this huge flashback to Thursday night and the Last Supper, Some commentators would say that it might have been that as he was breaking the bread, they saw the scars on his hand and so suddenly they were able to realise that this was Jesus. But for whatever reason, suddenly they can see him clearly. And then Jesus is gone. And they then start to rethink over everything that's happened for them over these last few hours. Didn't our hearts burn within us, other translations say? Didn't we feel on fire? as we listen to Jesus explaining all of those things. And they suddenly realised that Jesus was with them the whole time. Nothing's changed in their circumstances, nothing's changed about what happened over the last few hours, but their perspective has shifted. They suddenly realise, actually, Jesus was there all the way through. So for us, this is a really great opportunity to be able to say, well, what stops us? from being able to see Jesus? What are the things that get in the way of us being able to see that Jesus is with us all the time? 
Again, we come back to it could be about our expectations or our circumstances. But particularly when we go through difficult times, when we go through sickness, when we go through financial difficulties, when we experience conflict in relationships, when it feels like our world is falling apart, it's relatively easy for us to not be able to see that Jesus is there with us. But again, sometimes it can just be about our expectations, that we just assume that Jesus isn't with us, especially when we go through hard times. That as we enter into times of suffering, we can assume that this is not God's best and therefore God has left. He can't possibly be with us if we're going through this really, really tough situation. And that's why this is so important for us to remember everything that happens around Easter weekend. To recognise that sometimes it's in the darkest moments, sometimes it's in the worst things that we're going through, that God is able to do something that is incredibly powerful, that a change is just around the corner, that just in the midst of where we feel like everything's about to fall apart is the exact moment where God might work and do something that transforms everything. So often it's not about us needing a change in our circumstances where something needs to shift. It can just be about a change in our perspective to be able to see that Jesus is actually with us and has been with us the whole time. He's right there and to be able to see where that takes us. But sometimes we can also miss being able to see Jesus because we just don't invite him in. Now, we recognise that what we celebrated last week is that Jesus is with us 100% of the time, that if Jesus is risen and is alive, then he is with us every single moment of every day. But sometimes we can miss the opportunity to consciously turn our attention to that reality, to recognise that Jesus is with us in all of the things that we do. When we go to work, when we go to school, when we go to uni, when we're hanging out with our family, when we're hanging out with our friends when we're eating meals, when we're having a cuppa, when we're going for a walk on the beach, when we're driving in our cars, doing errands, in every single moment of every day, Jesus is with us. The question is whether we're aware of it, whether we choose to be able to see Jesus in all of those moments, to issue him an invitation to say, Jesus, I want you to stay with me. I want to know that you're here with me. I want to spend time with you. To remind ourselves that Jesus doesn't want us to just learn stuff about him. That's not our goal. Our goal is to get to know him, to build our relationship with him, which comes from us intentionally spending time together. So I want to give us a bit of an opportunity to be able to reflect on what that looks like as we head into another week. So our reflection question today is where and when is Jesus walking with me? Where and when is Jesus walking with me? For some of us, this is about us taking the time to actually slow down long enough to recognise that Jesus has been there the whole time, to take some time to reflect, to slow down, to consciously tune our thoughts in to recognise, oh yeah, that's right, (laughs) Jesus is here with me. So for some of us, it's about making that more of a discipline than what we use at the moment. And for others of us, it is about making a conscious choice to invite Jesus in. That as we're about to go into our day, as we're about to go into specific moments that happen throughout our day, to be able to say, Jesus, 
Help me to recognise that you're here. Help me to recognise that you're with me in this moment in what I'm about to do. And for some of us, it is about that shift from saying, my goal in my faith is not just to learn more about Jesus, just to discover new truths about Jesus, but to actually meet Jesus, to walk with Jesus, to cultivate a relationship with Jesus. So what does that look like for you? Where and when is Jesus walking with you as we head into another week? Take some time to jot some thoughts down or turn to the person next to you and have a bit of a chat and then we'll come back and pray and transition to communion. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you that you are with us every moment of every day. Thank you that you are with us in this moment, that you're here with us right now. We're sorry that so often as we go through day after day, week after week, we can miss the reality that you are with us. We can miss that reality because we're overwhelmed by the circumstances that we're going through, that we're struggling, that we feel frustrated, or sometimes just because we're focused on so many other things that we forget that you're with us. We recognise that so often we can be working through things and processing through things as these two friends were, and you're right there with us in the midst of what's going on, but we can miss that you're there. So my prayer is that as we head into this week, you would help me, you would help us to be able to turn our attention to you, to regularly stop and reflect on the reality that you're with us in the things that we're going through, in the things that we're going to, that you're a part of all of those things. 
that you would help us to issue you an invitation to invite you in and say, Jesus, stay a while. Spend time with me in this moment. And we pray that you would continue to help us to understand that your greatest desire for us is not just that we would know things about you, but that we would know you. We pray that as we continue to move on from this amazing Easter season and everything that's so much a part of that, that as we head into the rest of what this year's got to offer, that it will be a year where we can continue to get to know you better. Where in all of the different roads that we walk, we can recognise that you're right there with us. And so as we make our way through the rest of the service, as we take time together around the communion table, as we head out into the rest of this day, into this week, Thank you that you're with us. In your name we pray. Amen.